Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Well, good afternoon and a warm welcome to you from Ausbiz. This is The Call, a program in which we cover 10 stocks that have been picked by you. I've got two expert guests with me today all over the space of one hour. It is Friday, the 6th of August. I'm Nadine Blaney. And of course, because it is a Friday, you may be watching us on YouTube, on Facebook or Twitter. And if you're new to the program, just an FYI, we do this every day between Monday and Friday. And you can catch up with the program via our website or our app in full. And that includes our stock of the day. And our website is osbiz.com.au. We hope to see you there. Let me introduce my guests of the hour on this Friday. I know it's a Friday when I see Rudy Philippic van Dyke from FN Arena and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. How are you doing today, Rudy? Uh, I'm counting my luck that it's not the 13th. Yeah, well, that comes next week, right? <laughs> and uh, it's feeling a little bit like Friday the 13th uh, here in Sydney, at least. Claude, I saw you made it to the, to the snow last weekend. I've got to say, I was jealous. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to elicit that response. But I have to say for those people that aren't stuck in Sydney, which I realize is not everybody, but um, it's definitely a, a strange year at uh, the snow this year with no Sydney people there. Yeah, and uh, I know some of your tweets that you put out were, was referencing sort of, you know, how difficult it's going to be for people operating there just to stay afloat, considering the lack of uh, yeah. Sydney visitors. The staff. So I, obviously, there's not really JobKeeper. There's no JobKeeper anymore. There should be, obviously, in my opinion. But you know, a lot of the staff that we chatted to, you know, they're having their uh, hours cut right back and everything. So. Yeah, I would be in favor of having JobKeeper so that uh, those kind of businesses could keep going. Well, uh, before we get too far off our brief, let's bring it to the stock of the day. Look, uh, it's top of everyone's mind, isn't it? The lockdowns that are happening in the greater Sydney area, the Hunter region and Melbourne as well. So we hope everybody is staying safe and keeping sane as well. Stock of the day is RedMed, ResMed. It's reporting season, as uh, most of you well know. And so... Uh, we saw the company posting an 8% rise in full year revenues driven by the ongoing recovery of its core sleep apnea and patient flow across the business as well. COVID-19 is though continuing the company annualizing $125 million in COVID-related ventilator sales from this period in 2020. CEO Mick Farrell telling Ausbiz that 12 to 18 months ago, the company did a major pivot to produce those ventilators, but it is getting back to its 
its basic business model and it seems to be paying off. Uh, and in the peak of this uh, now, I would call uh, supply chain limited uh, growth of, of our industry as we get back and markets open up post-COVID, one of our competitors had uh, a major recall that has produced unprecedented, almost unlimited demand for ResMed products. And uh, we are doing everything we can to open up our supply chain and be able to take care of those people with sleep apnea, COPD and asthma that need our therapy. And on the earnings call that we just finished, I publicly said that we expect to have somewhere between 300 and $350 million of incremental revenue from these, uh, from these opportunities. So here's a quick check on the instant reaction to that reporting season update from ResMed down by one and a half percent at 12 noon on this Friday. So uh, if you'd like to listen to that interview in full, guys, with McFarrell, it's up on the website. But um, look, Rudy, I'll start with you because, you know, we'll get the deluge coming from the brokers. I've seen RBC Capital's first take saying that the first impression was strong for the fourth quarter. Uh, but thought that the um, additional revenues that the company is flagging in relation to that Philips recall could disappoint the market. So that's RBC Capital. But I had a conversation with John Lockton from Wilson's Advisory saying maybe not so fast because in mm. his experience, sometimes these recalls, companies take a long time to recover from these recalls to, to pick themselves back up, get to previous uh, levels. So it could be actually a longer lasting positive impact for ResMed. Mm. What do you think? Yes, I, I, I think this is this share price weakness. I think, I mean, I also saw that, for example, the market has uh, uh, reacted in a negative way to REA's results as well. By the way, um, so both stocks, uh, both companies report actually uh, an excellent result, but share price response is negative. I think this is a difficulty for investors to always predict and to assess what what exactly is the market response to an actual result. But I think investors need to distinguish the short term from the longer term here. And um, I, I don't think it's very clear what, what exactly has disappointed in, in the ResMed result uh, specifically. Uh, what I do think is probably playing a factor here is that if you look at the share price, it has, this is a longer term share price, but if you look at the share price over the past week or so, you'll find that the share price has, has rallied quite hard leading into the result. So it may well be that simply some people are here taking profits on the fact because that's, that gives you a better idea how strong that share price has, has rallied recently. I would say if you are a longer term investor, I mean, don't be put off by the fact that the initial response to the share price is negative, by the way, the share price uh, was was negative earlier in the morning. It's already recovering uh, some of that some of that uh, uh, losses. I think if you have a longer term view, what you should concentrate on is this is an incredibly high quality company. It has an incredibly strong market performance. One of the themes that I've been highlighting for this reporting season, and I think will which will come to the fore uh, on on multiple occasions, is that everyone is focused on what COVID does to corporate Australia. And one of the things that COVID is doing, it is making the stronger, stronger. And ResMed is a very strong company in, in what it does in that particular sector. And the fact that now one of its competitors basically ended up in trouble is to me, 
more evidence that the strong are getting stronger. And that is one of the themes that you can play as a long-term investor in, in, in this reporting season and beyond. And I think that's certainly something that investors should focus on. Should you buy uh, um, um, ResMed at this level, I still think you shouldn't be chasing it because it really has had a very strong run-up uh, over the past few weeks. But you know what? If you have a longer-term view, maybe the best way to illustrate um, uh, how you should treat those stocks is someone on, tw on Twitter said recently, if I buy, if I overpay for, for, for a growth stock like ResMed, I might have to wait six months to get my money back. If I overpay for a value stock, I might I might be forced to wait six years. And and I think it's a little bit facetious that that saying, but I think it applies to stocks like an REA and a ResMed and the CSL and some of those other high quality stocks, of which many are in the healthcare sector. It's always difficult to pick what exactly the point will be because they never get really really cheap. But if you are a long-term investor, you, you, you end up with a big smile on your face when you have those stocks in your portfolio. So would you buy ResMed today? You'd be waiting for a pullback of some sort. Yes, and, and, and I, have to, I have to say, I am, I am a shareholder of ResMed. It's quite a big, big, big position. And, and, and I intend to stay on board for a very long time, and I have been, and, and, and this is why I wake up every morning with a big smile on my face. So that's a hold, a solid hold from Rudy. Uh, John Lockton, I'll reference him again. He, he's, uh, Claude, still saw value in ResMed for many of the mm. same reasons, you know, quality company, et cetera, mm. but he is cognizant of the run-up that it's had lately, but said, if, again, if you're a long-term investor, it's, it's still not a bad time to buy. As yeah, I said, and, and that's Claude? Yeah, yeah, go Sorry, yeah. You, pick, you, you pick your point. Uh, well, yeah, Rudy said it, and uh, I, I largely agree with that. You can pay up for high-quality businesses without risking the kind of disaster that uh, can occur to you uh, when you pay up for the for lower-quality businesses or, or businesses that are all story or, or meme stocks or hype stocks and that kind of thing. And ResMed is a high-quality business. It's got a long history of growing earnings. And, you know, what's more, it's not standing still either. Um, you know, one thing that sort of stood out for me for the interview that you guys had earlier was how they talked about, uh, you know, serv serving the much larger asthma market with cloud-connected pharmaceutical drug inhalers. That is the kind of thing that actually probably could work. And you get a lot of hype stocks, meme stocks that have absolutely nothing to offer um, that consistently have some sort of cloud-connected gadget that's supposed to help asthmatics. And it's always just a story. But this, these, this company, if you want to sort of invest in that kind of tailwind that, you know, you have more obesity, you have more old people, you have more um, sleep apnea, but then they also go into other respiratory diseases like more um, like asthma and stuff like that, which is a huge market because there's also... You know, this epidemic of asthma getting worse for you know, reasons that are sort of debated. But um, these are long-term tailwinds that should be in favour of the company. So perhaps you can afford to pay up. But having said that, let's just look at a few numbers for a minute. If we take their non-GAAP earnings, so that's the earnings that exclude things that management thinks don't show the underlying business, it's still 50 times that. So it's trading at a PE of 50 times those management earnings you know not to mention the actual statutory earnings that are lower and um on top of that you know the operating profit was up eight percent 
this quarter. So that's not a lot of growth for a fairly high um, a high multiple. So it, w- it wouldn't seem obviously cheap to me. I don't, I don't, it doesn't scream opportunity to me. But, you know, this is, as, as I say, this is a classic father-in-law stock. Uh, my father-in-law does own it and has for a long time and he's done very well out of it and it, it's it's been a star performer but in part because it's had this good fortune recently right of the phillips recall and if we go back to the cochlear story where cochlear had a re- recall in 2011 the share price plunged but that would have been a great time to buy so if you want to sort of be a little bit contrarian to the market perhaps you know you've seen that gain and maybe there's a little bit more to be gained for sure but that doesn't necessarily mean now is the best time to buy. So I basically agree with Rudy. Okay, it's a whole ResMed stock of the day as reporting season kicks it up a notch here in Australia. Let's get to the companies that have been nominated for discussion by our viewers. This one is for Dion. It is Duratech. D-U-R is the ticker code. He says they're at a price less than when they were listed. Seems to have a good portfolio of works across Australia. I looked into it. It's an engineering services company. Current projects include everything from gold mine remediation to uh, remediation of a cinema in Australia. They, they seem like smallish projects to my untrained eyes, but it does look like they're employing drones. And of course, they talk about the innovation in the space. Is that enough to, to get you interested in uh, Duratech, Claude? Um. Yeah, not not on its own, but and I'm sure Rudy's going to hate this one, so I'm just going to give it the I'm going to give the pro case for it because I do actually think this is a decent company and it, like it's it's kind of interesting. Now, first thing I'd note is it doesn't matter where it's trading relative to its IPO price. Really, that's just the price they managed to sell it at. So we have to uh, assess it on its merits now. Um, what I think is most interesting about it um, is that first of all, it has a lot of work with defence, so that's like the government agency. And I've noticed with a lot of, um, you know, businesses that do a lot of work with government uh, departments, like that can actually be sort of often kept for many years. So if they can keep that, that will probably underpin, you know, their earnings to a degree. And then the second thing that I think is interesting is that to date, um, the company says that they've actually completed a replacement of combustible cladding on buildings in New South Wales, Victoria and WA. Now, if you remember... We have this issue in Australia, which we've also seen overseas, where we have, in our foolhardiness, clad many high-rise buildings with combustible Mm -hmm. cladding, which is extremely dangerous. And now we have this huge effort to make sure we replace it so that we don't have disastrous um, fires. So I think that that is work that is going to continue on for quite a few years. So, And I suspect that's sort of partly how they've managed to list, right? They've sort of said, hey, we've got a big order book ahead of us. And, and so, you know, you should invest in us now. Then to the, so, and then it's profitable as well. But the catch is, and this is why I wouldn't invest in it, is last half they did a 4.9% net profit margin. And that was down from four point, uh, 5.1% in the prior corresponding period. And the balance sheet has 8.3 million debt. They've got 30 million cash, but they also have very large payables and contract liabilities. So that means that their balance sheet, if something bad happened, like if they, just lost a contract or a few bad things happened and they made a loss, their balance sheet could suddenly be a major issue. So for that reason, I wouldn't touch it. No way, like not at all. Definitely no. It's just too, it's not as robust a business as I invest in. Having said that, this is probably trading on around eight times earnings. It's probably going to pay a 5% dividend yield. This is the kind of stock that, you know, 
I could totally understand in, when I was younger, maybe it's the kind of value stock that mm. I would be looking at. Um, I can see the thesis for it. I think it's kind of interesting. It's kind of, I like, I like this idea, but I'm not going to take it myself just because it's too low margins and, and therefore yeah. too low quality for me. So I know you're not going to give it a buy because you don't normally give those recommendations unless you'd put your own money in it. Is that correct? Well, sometimes I say buy in, in the sort of father-in-law way, you know, um, but for this one, no, I wouldn't say bye to my father-in-law or, or anybody basically um, on this one. It's a little bit too, uh, it's a little bit too risky. I do think it's worth watching though, because there may okay. be an opportunity, right? So I'd call it a, a sell or a hold list. at the moment, but yeah. watch, watch it. Because if okay. it does pay that dividend, it could get interesting. Got it. Rudy, is this just too small for you? Uh, well, that would be one of the reasons. The other reason I think also is, is that it only just, it, it, it hasn't had a long life as a listed company. And I've said this before, um, I wait usually at least three to four years uh, after listing because that gives the market and the company uh, the chance to provide some more color beyond the, 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 the obvious promotion and marketing that goes with an IPO. Uh, apart from the fact that it is quite small, I think, Nadine, I think you gave quite a, a good uh, description of the company. It will be one that is a little bit of everything, and that's why it will be one that is, is, is more difficult for investors to get their heads around. What is this company actually about, or what does, what does it do, mm -hmm. and what uh, are the long-term prospects of it? In this context, I can also say, see, one of the reasons why People like like Claude have more difficulties in, in putting a valuation on a stock like ResMed is because ResMed has a, a high PE ratio, not because the, the, the earnings growth is 8% this quarter. It's because over decades, it has done that year in, year out. And because you build up that track record, then the market at some stage says, well, you deserve a premium rating because you've, you've now done so well. The reason why a Duratech uh, hasn't done that is because it, it has no track record, basically, yeah. and it is it's quite small. It yet has to prove itself. Um, I often see a lot of those IPOs, they they are uh, they start off on a positive note, and you look six months down the track, and the share price has halved. I think this is sort of a similar story. It's not always clear why that is, but sometimes it is that the company simply doesn't deserve or still yet has to prove itself. And as an investor, I think you don't have to be there. You mm -hmm. can wait your time, observe the company, keep an eye on it, see what management does. And at some point, if it's really, really a good company, there will be lots of opportunities to get okay. on board. Got it, Duratech. Let's get on to the next one for Tony. Ingenia Communi Communities, excuse me. It is a lifestyle and holiday community builder you know, across Australia. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting that it's also got this joint venture with a US listed company called Sun Communities. So it, it's in a joint venture partnership with this company and then it gets to, uh, you know, it gets paid fees essentially to continue to manage and develop those, those communities. It's also got a funds management business. Um, it, it, what do you make of Virginia INA as a ticker code, Rudy? Um. This might come as a bit of a surprise, but this company has been on my radar for quite a while. Um, in, a, in, a, in a farther away uh, uh, distance into the into the past, it, I think it was called ING something, but that's that's really a long time ago now. Um, actually, it is, it, it, essentially, it's it's a property developer. It has it has carved out its niche. It's it's very interesting in what it does. It has actually been 
quite a good performer. If you if you see post GFC, that share price essentially has has moved up year in year out on average, um, and it is uh, currently priced for that as well. See, this is where I I I can't place this company in in terms of why why I should own it or anyone else should own it at this point in time. The reason is as follows: it, it's essentially a property developer. The fact that it's also a, a, a fund manager, it doesn't make it that um, special because the likes of Charter Hall, Goodman Group, GPT, you name it, Landlease, they all do the same thing. They all manage funds as well. And this also um, gives you an idea, like I own Goodman Group and Charter Hall, which are essentially property managers, but in a, diff in a different format. And I feel much more comfortable in sticking with those uh, stocks than within Ingenia. Not only is this a much smaller uh, company, mm -hmm. it's also priced now at a dividend yield of less than 2%. I mean, um, that's almost like a, like a CSL dividend. And that gives you a little bit of a problem because growth, I think, is not as strong as, as for a growth stock and the yield is too low to be an income stock. So it's okay. somewhere, in, somewhere in between. I'm much more happy with happier proper English uh, with Charter Hall and Goodman Group than I would be with this one. So for me, it's a bit of a chameleon that I can't up properly place, but it's a very interesting company, I think. Okay. Uh, well, there's others that are sort of in that, that space as well. Lifestyle communities, roughly speaking, comes to mind. So watch that space and Goodman Group reports next week, of course. Uh, Claude, you can keep your thoughts short on this one if you like, uh, but Ingenia Communities, I-N-A, not the type of company you invest in. Would you put your money in it for your father-in-law or his money in it? Um, <laughs> probably not at these prices, but I actually do. Um, I do have somewhat of an answer to Rudy's question when he says, why would sort of why would you own it? Why would you buy it versus some of the other the property plays that he likes? And the reason that I've looked at Ingenia for many years, I think I may have even owned it at one point, is I really like it for its exposure to the aging population and the sort of retiring, um, the need, the, the boomers retiring, basically, to put it bluntly. And uh, the reason for that is it is super focused on, I guess, um, giving an option for, you know, people who are retiring and they're, they're focused on a lot of um, holiday homes and, sorry, holiday home areas where people might want to retire to and they have mm -hmm. like over 55 communities and that kind of thing. And the way it works is actually more ethical. So this is why I kind of like it than some of the other ways it used to work. So there's this idea of a deferred management scheme um, or deferred management fee rather um, that these sort of older, like the retirement village kind of communities would run. And what it would mean is that when the retirees eventually died and left, they would be left with way less of the mm -hmm. value of, of the place. And Ingenia's model is a little bit different and essentially is better for the person who lives in their communities in that they don't have to pay the fee at the end. So their estate is better off. And the, the quid pro quo is that they, they buy a house. So you couldn't buy a two bedroom house in, you know, a, a beachy kind of coastal area in, in regional New South Wales for 380,000 in one of these communities but then you will have to pay an ongoing per week sort of leasing of the land. So you pay it as you go, but often these often the people living here may get something from the government like a pension or whatever. So that covers the rental and that creates about almost half their income is rental income, right? 
Mm-hmm. And then at the end, they can sell that house on, and it's a bit fairer for them. I think it's a decent business model, and I think it's exposed to the aging population, and I think that's why it's done well over the last five years. And I think that it may actually surprise Rudy, um, if I'm right, that that sort of tailwind, and this is small enough for that tailwind to make a, a difference. I think it's a, it's an interesting one. I, I won't say buy, but I just wanted to give it a little bit of a, a pro, you know, say what the what the idea in favour of it would be. I'll call it a hold. It's a hold. All right. We will keep cracking on with this list. Uh, Stock three is 4D Medical for Ebony. Uh, Rudy, I'll start with you on this one. Lung technology, in a nutshell. Uh, Exposure to potentially some COVID themes. It has sold some of its scanners, I think eight uh, something, to the University of Michigan. It's also got clinical trials approved by the U.S. Institutional Review Board. Is this a medical device company that you can get behind, Rudy? No, computer says no, and 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 the main reason is it's it's uh, it's too small. Um, under normal circumstances, I would direct people to uh, ProMedicus, um, but um, that chap is, is uh, has blown up to the upside. Um, so I basically I think if you play that theme, you just wait for weakness in ProMedicus, and and I still think, and I'm and I'm pretty certain that uh, Claude will. Uh, will back me up on this one. ProMedicus is one of the prime growth stories on the share market. It's just a problem that uh, between 55 and $60, that's probably a little bit uh, too much uh, to pay for it right now, but the share price should be higher in years to come. So I think for 4D Medical, for me, it's way too small. It, 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 it has particular risks longer term. Um, and uh, therefore, I think you can only take a punt on it at this point in time here. Got it. Claude, can I get you to weigh in on 4D Medical, please? 4DX? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So funnily enough, just going off uh, Rudy's comments, the reason that I first bought shares, and I own a very small holding in 4D Medical, a very small holding because it's very risky. Um, But the reason I first bought shares in it is because the uh, CEO and co-founder of ProMedicus is actually on their advisory board. And I just have a lot of respect for him. And I just think that he would only go on the advisory board if he thought that, um, you know, they really had a great product or a lot of potential. And so that's why that's one of the reasons why I looked at it. And then I and I thought, well, I'm going to buy a really small holding because I want to make sure. And look, Rudy loves to say it and it's correct. You don't have to get in early with these things. You can wait. If it's truly a great company, there'll be plenty of opportunities to buy along the way. That is correct. But sometimes what I do is I buy a little bit of a holding, even though I know it's super risky. I buy a little bit of a holding just so it's in my portfolio and I follow it closely. And that can increase the chances that I spot it if it's really definitely going to be good. And that's hopefully going to be I'll spot that and then I'll actually make a much bigger position. But let me just say, you know, the reason I I love this is because or the the reason that I, I buy, even though it's so ridiculous, like it's just too speculative to recommend, really, um, is just because. You know, this technology, according to the studies, which, you know, they have, of course, been involved in funding those studies. But according to the studies, you know, essentially this, um, the uh, the XV LVAS technology that they have can basically be faster, more accurate and give more resolution um, than a CT scan and have um, less radiation and be quicker. And also, best of all, and this is what you always need with these kind of things, is cheaper. That's what they're saying, right? So if they deliver, if they deliver on their promise, 
it could actually be something really good. But that's a huge if right now. And uh, but the idea as well is also as as an asthmatic, I think a lot about lung disease and also with COVID causing so much damage to people. I think demand for for lung disease diagnosis will only go up from mm-hmm. here. So. Um, yeah, basically, I think there's good tailwinds there. It's a good story, but it's nothing more than a story right now. And just I'm just waiting and following and watching and see if they can deliver. Okay. But yeah, for me, I own I own a few shares, and and perhaps it's okay is a very speculative thing, but I would hesitate to tell people to to buy really. Got it. Thank you, Claude. All right, guys, we're at number four. Latitude LFS. So Ahmed Fahur finally got this company listed in April mm. after a couple goes, a couple attempts, loans, credit cards, insurance, BNPL. I mean, what makes Latitude unique? Rudy. Yeah, Ahmed Fahour. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, 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 keep, I'll, keep, I'll keep this one short because I, I do understand we are a little bit uh, behind time here. Listen, uh, my preference, if you want to go into the alternative financials, my preference would be with Liberty still. Uh, objective observation, uh, latitude shares are trading well below uh, broker valuations. Uh, the implied dividend yield here is, is 7%. That gives you an idea that the market sort of is, is not trusting the outlook for this company or is suspecting there's more risk or is, is simply not giving it the kudos it deserves. Um, so yes, you can, of course, uh, jump on board and then think like, well, I have a 7% dividend yield here. And personally, I haven't seen a reason why they would cut their dividends. But history tells me uh, jumping on 7% yields in this current environment is is probably taking on uh, too much risk or you're counting on the fact that the market has it completely wrong, which is strategy as well. I think out of risk management, you probably go for something like a um, Liberty, as I said, mentioned earlier, which gives you next year five or five and a half percent, and I think has has less risk. Um, just as a little sidestep, mm-hmm. the strategy that Claude just described with these high, highly, uh, highly speculative stocks by buying a little bit and then and then keeping it in your portfolio because it forces you to pay attention. It's exactly what I've been saying to people in the past, what they should do when it comes to stocks like CSL, ResMed, Cochlear, etc., because they usually think, I can't buy, it's too expensive. And I always say, buy a little bit and you'll see how well it performs. It gets it gets you more comfortable in adding more. Gosh, you and Claude are match made in heaven, aren't you? Just coming <laughs> at it from completely different angles. All right, Claude, talk to us about Latitude. It was a, it, it, there's a lot of these sort of providers out there. And I suppose my fundamental question is, why would you pick this one to invest in? Yeah, well, I think you've, I'll, I'll make it quick as well. Like, I think you've basically made my point, right? There's a lot of these kind of providers out there, i.e. that is like competition. And I don't think there's any moat. I don't think there's any moat. And when I got taught to invest, I got taught to look for competitive advantage, moat, high quality stocks. That's the real, real winners that can be a, a life-changing difference. Yeah, okay, maybe this is yielding 7%, but this kind of lending is typically super high risk and it's exactly the kind of stuff that blows up when there is an overall blow up. You want to have something that's going to be, if you're going to invest in a dividend stock, you want it to be one that's resilient when there's an overall blow up, not one that's also probably going to blow up. So yeah, hard pass for me. Okay, hard pass. That's a new one. I like it, I think. All right. Stock number five is eight common. Eight CO is the ticker code. This is for Chris. Claude, I'm going to start with you because Chris points out this was mentioned last week on the call. I'd like to know more. Over to you. Cool. Yeah. So 
Um, eight common. I was sort of had my attention last week because it did something a bit uh, dramatic, I guess. Um, it sort of announced that um, it's its main expense eight. So what it does is it sells software to large companies and government that like manages their expense management, right? So and it also uh, allow it issues cards that they can then give to their employees that you know are pre-authorized to spend at petrol stations and restaurants and hotels, but you know not at ATMs or something like that. And um, so it's about expense management. Government is a huge part of its um, business already. And what it did is it went into trading halt or, or suspension for about uh, three or four days before announcing that um, Expensate is the travel and expense management solution for Gov ERP, which will provide a common corporate platform for all non-corporate Commonwealth entities um, to basically use it. And so basically what they're foreshadowing is they're saying that they, because they got selected as this in this position, they reckon that they're going to um, basically win a whole bunch of new revenue eventually in a couple of years once all those government people sort of start buying through there. And you can see on that chart there how the share price just shot up. It actually went up 100% in one day, which I obviously was quite happy about since I owned shares previously and I still own shares now. But... What I must stress here is that the announcement that caused um, the share price to jump up 100%, you know, that's that's an announcement that says the first agencies to onboard Gov ERP will be um, in mid-2023. So they're talking about revenue that they're probably going to get in, um, in a couple of years, basically. So it was kind of surprising to me that the share price went up so high. And for me, this is a buy at around 11 to 13 cents. And then it went to 22.5 cents. So I actually sold 25% um, roughly of my holding there because I thought it was too high. And, mm. and look, honestly, the company then immediately went into trading halt and raised capital just to private sophisticated investors, no share purchase plan, nothing for retail shareholders. And that's typically what they've done before. And they always, um, and they always end up like raising capital. It's in my opinion, they, they often seem to raise capital into share price strength. So they're issuing more shares. They're not keeping um, the, the share register as tight as they need to for shareholders really to be well off. And that just shows if they keep having to raise capital all the time whenever the share price goes up, that just shows that their business is still falling short of being mature. So that means that it's still um, high risk. They're not really doing the right thing by retail shareholders. And um, they had, you know, as a bit of a bit dramatic to go into a trading halt for a week and all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, I'm... I'm a little bit cautious at these prices. This is 19 cents now. I, I don't change my buy price based on what I would pay based on something they might get in 2023. So for me, this is still definitely not in the buy zone anymore, but probably just in the hold hold zone for me. And I do still hold shares. But, you know, I'm sure uh, Rudy's going to highlight some of the risks here for us as well. Over to you, Rudy. No, no, no. I've got a surprise, uh, Claude, now. What? I, I vividly... I vividly remember when Claude was on this program and, and had a five to ten minute rant about the capital raising that, that Cochlear did in uh, 2020, which was not to the benefit of existing shareholders, which, which was correct. But he also said, I could never, ever, ever again purchase any shares in that company. And he does it in Eight Common, which on, I mean, we could argue is even, is even worse for shareholders. Um, anyway. That's fair, that's uh, bend, fair. Bendable principles, bendable principles here. <laughs> well, I was in, I was enticed by the potential upside, Rudy. 
And there's no upside in Cochlear? What are you saying? Well, there anyway. you Okay, okay, okay. You've, you're right. You, you've, you've got me there. I was there for that conversation. I remember it as well. <laughs> But I suppose when there's money at risk, we can all be a little bit malleable, can't we, Rudy? Yes, we, we can be, I guess. And you, and you know what? The, 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 the short story that Claude just uh, uh, exposed to all of us, I think, for me, it had so many alarm bells ringing. I would say a long berth around it and would not even touch it with a barge pole as far as I'm concerned. And I mean, company has been in business for quite a while. There are companies like an EML payments in the same sector that uh, are growing like like mushrooms. And this one basically doesn't do anything. It just raises capital. Why would you ever put money in there? All right. Uh, listen, my notes are really looking scratchy, but I'll try to do a little bit of a wrap up of what we have heard thus far in the program. So we will begin with our stock of the day. It is ResMed. ResMed is a hold from both of my expert guests. Rudy loves it. He says, just don't chase it here. It's a father-in-law stock for Claude, so he does have it in the portfolio. But again, it is just not something you want to be chasing here. Both agree it's a quality business. Claude likes it. It's still innovating. Let's get to the companies that have been nominated by you. It's an avoid for Claude, for Duratech. Decent company. Uh, it's potentially something he would look at in his past life if, from a value perspective but uh, it's just not one that he'd be getting into now. It's in a void for Rudy. It's too small, too new as a listed company. Iginia Communities, uh, look, it's been on uh, Rudy's radar for a while, but he just doesn't see strong, it's, the growth is not strong enough to be a growth stock. Yield is not good enough to be an income stock. He's looking forward to Goodman's Group report next week. Uh, look, Claude likes that it's got exposure to that aging population narrative, but uh, it's just a hold for him. It's not a buy. Now, for 4D Medical, it's potentially a specky buy for Claude. He sees tailwinds. He sees the opportunity in lungs, but he's saying, wait, wait for it to prove itself a little bit more. It's an avoid, though, for Rudy. No big surprise there. He still prefers ProMedicus, although that's looking a bit expensive right now. Latitude, it's a pass for Claude. If you're going to be getting into one of these, well, what Rudy calls alternative financials, I like that. He says you want one that's really resilient. And Claude, uh, Rudy sorry, says, look, um, there's something up with it trading well below broker valuation. So clearly the market is not trusting something there, not a buy for him. And number five inspired some good conversation between the guys. It's a buy for Claude, but only between 11 and 13 cents. So it's not in his buy zone. It's got Rudy's alarm bells ringing, as you've just heard. So there you go. That's the sum up at the halfway mark and beyond. All right, we've got our own portfolio. Thanks to our partners at NAB Trade. You know the rules, two stocks, two thumbs up. It goes in the portfolio. We put in Nick Scally yesterday. Weekly, we're up by 4% on the month, up just under 2%. Year to date, up July 1st, 2021, we're up 2%. Stocks we've added, as I mentioned, Nick Scali, Sydney Airport, Osco Healthcare, Appin, and Monash IVF. Stocks removed, Evolution Mining, Premium, and McMahon. You can check out that portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. This one is from Melinda. It's Bubs Australia. She's pointing out the surge in the share price recently. She says, I know you've looked at this one before, but I'd appreciate analysis at the current levels. It did have a good run up. It has been coming under pressure, guys. Uh, 
is this again just a story, Claude, about travel, about borders, about demand coming from China in particular? I, I think that definitely these stocks, the baby formula stocks, do trade on that kind of thing and that kind of expectation. So uh, perhaps that is actually what is uh, moving the share price around at the moment. That's a that's a decent explanation. But uh, to the broader question of whether you want to invest in this business, I think we just need to take stock of the history a little bit of these businesses on the ASX. Um, you know, a few years ago, we had uh, Bub's, was sort of a me too stock that came in after Bellamy's and A2 milk were so hot. And you can see there in that chart, that perfectly tells the story how it sort of run up with all the hype of everything. And then as soon as the infant formula trade to um, China came under under pressure, you know, Bellamy's ended up falling about by about half and then got taken private. And then A2 milk, you know, we know the story there as well. That's come way down. And this whole time, Bubs has been easily the worst of these companies, while A2 Milk's actually been like really profitable and, and, and for a lot of that time growing profits as well. You know, all these years later, Bubs is still um, losing massive amounts of money. The cash outflows are phenomenal. You know, this is totally, in my view, this business is no, like, it's probably lower quality than A Common, which, which Rudy, you know, savaged. But you know, this one, it gets through way more money. It burns through way more money. 23 million operating cash outflow in the last year, right? And it yeah. has a way higher market cap. So for me, the mar it's 254 million. So for me, the market's like, you know, still reckons it's going to come good and be ma massively profitable in the future, which it might. But it's been chipping away, losing money for a really long time. And in the, in the past, you know, it's been a favorable environment to raise capital for infant formula companies when there was heaps of hype around that, but not so much anymore. So, yeah, I'd probably avoid it. But, uh, yes, yeah, okay. I have to say I would avoid it. Yeah. Rudy, you, Bubs? Yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with, with, with Claude. I like the fact that we're now discussing which one is the lowest quality than the other one. <laughs> Uh, the bit, I, I agree. I agree with everything that uh, that Claude said, and I wouldn't know which one is the lowest quality. But I would personally, I would never invest in in companies like this. They, I mean, they haven't proven anything, and it's all it's all hype and me too. Yeah, well, Rudy, we put Monash IVF, as you've heard. It wasn't us necessarily, but uh, it's in the Osbiz portfolio. Virtus Health, VRT for Jess and Malaya. Uh, both are asking about this one. I know Morgan's recently put an ad recommendation on the stock. Do you agree? I have a I have a slightly different view on on on, on stocks like Mon, Monash IVF and and Virtus Health. Um, I mean, it's it's similar to Invocare and 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 its competitor on the stock exchange. And I know they they do funerals, but these these guys basically prey on on um, on older women that couldn't get a, a, a family together by just having a close time with their husbands. And, and they really prey on, on that very easily uh, targeted uh, section of, of society. And I, and, I, and I sort of think that's a business model I don't really want to be uh, involved with. So the other thing is to, to observe is that they, they both IPO'd with a lot of um, uh, potential, and that potential hasn't really come to mm -hmm. the fore. So I, I personally am not a big fan. I think there are better themes and, and, and more, more better ESG-adjusted stocks to invest in. What do you think, Claude? It's speaking of ESG getting brought up. Yeah, I think actually really such an interesting point there. Virtus has traditionally been more 
are focused on the lower cost IVF that can be a lot less successful. And I would actually classify that as more ethically questionable because the woman actually goes through a lot more pain and suffering of having more tries. It's better off to have the really high end IVF, uh, which costs more, but you have a higher percent chance of um, success. I think that Monash IVF is the pick of the sector. And okay. um, as a result, I would prefer that than Virtus and I wouldn't buy Virtus. Got it. Now, Lavisa, it's impossible to talk about retailers now without talking about extended lockdowns in Sydney. And we'll see with Melbourne, right? So Claude, Lavisa, it sells little things. It sells little things that it can do online, uh, but it really has to obviously build that side of the business. Yeah. So. This is one of the uh, people love uh, people that know more about retail than me and invest in retail a lot love LaVisa. So I am reticent to uh, say anything too strong against it because it's considered a really high quality retailer. They can roll out stores, high returns on um, invested capital. But I also could not give it the buy. I just think it's it's priced. It's too popular. It's too popular. Everybody loves it as this sort of ev ever, you know, never ending growth story. And, you know, I just don't no and i don't trust that the market for this kind of stuff is big enough uh and and so i at best would have to give it a hold basically okay. uh, it's just too popular too too high priced i've got my lavisa earrings in today just so you know <laughs> so, that's the extent of my involvement but i did have a good conversation with luke larative from seneca financial solutions earlier in the week it was on uh, our reporting season masterclass, and he did point out that one of the metrics he's really interested in is cash flow return on invested capital. And he said LaVisa does really well on that scorecard. Rudy, what do you think? Yes, they do. And, and they also um, pretty much acquired a, 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 a German-based business last year almost for free. Um, I, am, I am with, uh, with Claude on this. I think blokes like us we don't understand a company like lovisa we will never we will never do it uh -oh. I mean, well to, you know i'm gonna to get to emails me. in saying come on nadine to, are you kidding that we've got yes, to divide uh, companies between yes, blokes and chicks in terms of because it's not, shopping not, and 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 little earrings no 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 but i do think that when claude and i walk into a shop like of lovisa's we don't understand what the attraction is and that's just a fact i don't have daughters for example and my my fiance definitely is not a fan of <laughs> um, so my statement stays blokes like claude and i we will never get all lovisa but it is very popular it does very well um, i would say wait until the result comes out in august and, and and see what they come up with because lockdowns somehow must have an influence on them and we saw that last year as well uh, having said so, as long as they can uh, leverage off the acquisition from last year and they can continue to roll out new stores, which essentially is what they're doing, then this share price, of course, uh, should should be higher in 12 months' time. But again, don't chase it here, I would say, because I think already a lot of a lot is priced in. Can't teach a new, an old dog new tricks sometimes, Rudy. And, you know, we're <laughs> supposed to be looking at the numbers. Okay, let's talk about Henson Technologies. I've known Rudy a long time, I can say this to him. Henson Technologies, HSN for Trish. Rudy, there's a takeover offer on the table that values yeah. the company at $1.3 billion. So talk us through why anybody would be buying this company at this time. Well, that's why I'm, not, that's why I'm questioning, Brett. Why are you asking questions? Uh, the, the, the main thing here is the share price is, is, is high because there's a bid in there, but the bid hasn't been committed yet. And they are, my understanding is the, the, the suitors are doing due diligence here. 
So I would say, very simple, take the money and run. Because if for some reason they decide not to go ahead with, with the acquisition, then the share price will re revert back to a lot to a much lower level. And there you're sitting with your, with your missed chance. So whenever luck falls into your lap, don't question it. Take it. But don't buy it here. Yeah, don't Definitely buy it don't here. Buy exactly. It here. So just hold on to it. Let's see what happens with that takeover. Nate, Claude, I can't help but bring up the fact that this week started with that blockbuster takeover offer for Afterpay by Square. Would you think we're going to see more M&A in Australia, particularly in the tech space? Um, yeah, probably. I'd, I'd say so. There's a few uh, good Australian software companies that are big enough to move the dial for like really large companies. So yeah, I think it's possible. But uh, one of the reasons that we usually don't see it is that a lot of the tech stocks in Australia already trade on really high multiples. Um, Hanson's been a bit of an exception than that. It, it's traded on lower multiples historically because essentially it's lacked organic growth. Um, it's only really been growing by acquisition. Um, but you know, this if it does get taken over a 650, uh, that's a great result. Um, the current I guess we're in trivia now, but the current CEO is the son of the founder and he took over mm, quite a few years ago now running the company and he's taken it from about 80 cents share price to $6.50. So, you know, I think well done, Andrew Hansen. He's, he's done a lot to realize value for shareholders there um, by hook and by crook, just acquiring stuff and patching it all together. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's Hansen Technologies, Trish. Not a lot to, to do with that that's narrative right now. Contact Energy is the last on the list, CEN for Matthew. Now, I was just doing a bit of, well, thinking about infrastructure-related companies, Claude. You know, they can be defensive, they can hedge against inflation, you can get income, not always in terms of these utilities. Capital growth, or am I misreading that? What do you think about Contact Energy? Uh, well, um, I guess I, I, don't, I don't really like it, but that's mostly just because um, I figure it op operates in largely regulated markets and so returns are kind of regulated. Uh, that doesn't mean it doesn't have a place in uh, your, your portfolio at all. Um, and Rudy often invests in those kind of companies more than me. The reason that I'll have to say no is because essentially what I'm trying to do with my portfolio is um, put together a bunch of, I guess, higher risk reward stuff um, that, you know, um, overall gives me good returns even if i have some losses i don't think that's the kind of um you know i don't think that's particularly likely with this business having said that that regulated returns can be great for somebody that um you know basically just wants to have a reliable dividend or something like that so uh for me it's a no and i don't know about enough about this one to say oh yeah it'd be a good father-in-law stock so i'd have to just give it uh, a hold essentially mm -hmm. um but Mostly that's just because it's it's out of it's out of the kind of play that I'm most interested in. So Rudy, would you hold contact energy as potentially a defensive position in the portfolio? No, don't think so. The computer says no, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm going to show my age here. I, I'm still old enough to remember when Origin Energy spun this one off on the, on the New Zealand Stock Exchange. Um, if you look at AGL Energy and Origin energy on the, on the Australian Stock Exchange um, that gives you a little bit of an idea of the challenges that uh, are ahead of those companies. They really have to transform. Just like Claude, I do not I do not follow contact energy uh, very closely, but I can only assume they have the same challenges. And you sort of see that in the share price domain. 
it is a lot lower than where it was. It has become a lot more volatile. I, th I, th for me, I think the fact that this, the challenges are so huge and so pronounced for for that type of companies, that I think they lose their defensive uh, label. Um, mm. If you look for defensive, you should go for in 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 the, in the utilities uh, sector. You should go for Transurban, for example, um, which once economies open up, uh, it becomes a lot less risky than uh, climate change impact related business models. Um, and that's uh, that's just a very almost very simplistic matter. So for me, it's it's a big void. Um, managing a portfolio is not just looking at upside. It's not just looking at valuations. It's it's basically managing risk. And this is the type of risk uh, I would do not want to have in my own portfolio. So I would say don't do it. Okay, there's a whole investable universe out there. Rudy, I can, I, I'll say though, we didn't really hit on any of them this time around from this list, at least, did we? No, the computer says no, it was quite, uh, I, could, I, could, I could have said that uh, nine times or so. What, well, thanks for indulging me. What you need for us me. to agree is, what you need for me and Rudy to agree is a high quality growth stock that's big enough for Rudy. Yeah, exactly. So you guys make a great uh, counter, balance towards each other sometimes. Sometimes they agree, sometimes they disagree greatly. Uh, regardless, it's been fun today. It's been uh, informative. Thank you so much, guys, for your time. I do hope you have a good weekend. Thank you. Thanks, Nadine. It's been fun. All right, let's just uh, run you through that last list there. Bubs, Australia is in a void for both of my guests. Uh, just look at the cash burn, says Claude. Virtus Health. Well, interesting that Rudy actually brought up some ESG uh, confines and Claude agreed. Good point. He goes for the higher end quality IVF company, Monash IVF. Levisa, well, this is a hold. It's just too popular for Claude. Rudy says he just doesn't understand the business, putting it nicely. He'll wait until August reports are out and that's because it will be impacted by lockdowns again. Hanson Technologies, it's got to take over bit on the table, it's not a time to buy, in Rudy's view. Uh, look, Claude gives the CEO, who's actually the founder's son, props, but says, look, you know, there's no reason to get in now. Contact Energy, it's a no from both of my guests. You just heard why. Claude just doesn't like it. Neither does Rudy, pretty much. That sums it up. Well, for those of you who've been asking about that reporting season event that Kashi's been talking about through the week, and I think it was mentioned in conversation today, you can still watch it. All you have to do is go to osbiz.co.register. Basically, it was a masterclass featuring Marcus Bogdan, Luke Laird, who I talked about today. I mentioned his uh, return on cash flow investments. You can hear him explain it. Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool is my co-host. Eleanor Swanson from Firetrail Investments talking about reporting season, what they go to in a report to understand the company and what it could potentially return going forward. Look, I'm biased, but I think it's definitely worth it. Register to watch osbiz.co forward slash register. All right, that's the program for today. It's been great to have you along. Mm -hmm.